If you're a veteran or military spouse of another state startup or small business and feel like you're making it up as you go, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to The Transition, where we demystify the entrepreneurial experience for veterans and military spouses who've already made or looking to make the transition from the military into entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Iron Mike Stedman, the voice of The Bunker. I'm a Marine Corps veteran, social entrepreneur, and member of the Bunker Labs branding team. On this episode of The Transition, I'm joined by Rachel Hobart, a partner at Hivers and Strivers, an early stage investment fund that invests exclusively in military veterans. Hivers and Strivers has been around since 2011, originally starting out as an angel investment group before establishing their own venture fund. They were one of the early investors in Black Rifle Coffee, the premier veteran-owned coffee brand in the country. Getting capital in the hands of the veteran entrepreneurial community is always at the forefront of my mind. So I invited Rachel on the show to discuss what Hivers and Strivers looks for in its founders and best practices for those seeking investment, as well as misconceptions about the venture capital space. This is a great episode, and it was an honor to be able to host Rachel on her first podcast. Before you hear from Rachel and I, be sure to subscribe to the Transition Newsletter at the link in the show notes. If there's a topic you'd like me to cover either on the show or in the newsletter, feel free to reach out to me at mike.stedman at bunkerlabs.org or message me directly on LinkedIn at Iron Mike Stedman. This episode of The Transition is brought to you by MetLife Foundation and their commitment to supporting veteran and military spouse entrepreneurs. In addition, MetLife Foundation provides mentorship and financial health resources to veterans and military spouses transitioning into the workforce. As always, I hope you enjoyed today's show and that accelerates you on your own entrepreneurial journey. Rachel, welcome to The Bunker. <laughs> so excited to have you on the podcast. I know we got to see each other from afar out at the Military Veteran Startup Conference. Um, and uh, I didn't get to chat with you out there, but I reached out to you. It was like, hey, I got to get you on the podcast because I think what Hivers and Strivers is doing as far as leading the conversation and investment in veteran-owned startups, venture-backable startups, um, is super important to get the word out to our audience here at The Bunker. So uh, it's an honor to have you here today. Yeah, it's great to be here, Mike. I'll tell you, it's a perfect time, too, because last week I attended uh, the Penn Fed Foundation held an event in New York City, right, uh, with uh, Veteran Future Labs. Really, it was just like this city tour because New York City and Newark were ranked number one for veteran entrepreneurial uh, like ecosystems in the country. And there was a panel on venture capital. And one of the things I've come to appreciate, right, even though there's all this information out there about venture capital, there's different books, you know, what's the one, um, the Sand Hill Road book. Yeah. I have this whole, this giant book about uh, the business of venture capital, et cetera. But I take it for granted that I like, read and learn this stuff, but a lot of our community doesn't know, right? So they transition out of the military, they want to start a business, and the first thing that kind of pops in their mind is like, oh, okay, I need to get capital. How do I get capital for this business? And a lot of the events that are taking place, they're tied around tech and raising VC, et cetera. But the reality is every venture is not uh, venture backable, right? Not every business needs venture capital. So I just thought it was important for us to get you on to talk about this conversation about like, okay, who meets the criteria for a venture, venture backable startup and how do our entrepreneurs set themselves up to receive investment? And so uh, we're going to dive into that. But before we do, I should probably just start by having you actually introduce yourself to our listeners. No, I appreciate it, Mike, and looking forward to the conversation. Uh, my name is Rachel Hober. I'm a partner at Hivers and Strivers. Been a part of it uh, with the group for about two years. Hivers and Strivers is a early stage investment fund that invests exclusively in military vets. We've been around kind of the longest since about 2011. It started as an early stage angel group and just picked up momentum amongst friends and family and built out our first fund in 2018, a $10 million fund, invested, again, exclusively in military vets. We don't waver from that. We don't do uh, anything else besides military vets. And so with that, um, really just if you look at the ecosystem and what why military vets, uh, underappreciated, underfunded asset class. You guys are, I mean, military vets have the characteristics of a great entrepreneur. And in of itself, to be an entrepreneur, uh, it's hard, right? Entrepreneurship, I give a lot of credit to guys 
guys and girls that go out and start their own venture. So, uh, yeah, happy to dive into topics about when to go in, when to raise, who to raise it from, how to raise it. Um, and here's a resource for you. How did you find your way to Hivers and Shrivers? <laughs> I worked for a family office based out of Arlington, Virginia, did a lot of uh, consulting, M&A, private placement. And we had an early stage investment uh, vertical that I helped run. And we syndicated a few deals with Hivers. And so I worked along Doug for about two years prior to joining Hivers. Got it. And to make it to partner, that means you have to be very valuable. And so talk to our listeners about how you're able to make that happen. Uh, yeah, you just got to add value. And um, I'm a big fan of having skin in the game. So when you work in venture, you're not making much money on the front end, but it comes all in the carry. And uh, when I'm up working with our entrepreneurs and it's, it's hey, I've got the same interests at hand that you do. Um, we have, and when I'm up at 11, a, or 11 p.m. writing emails and just getting, rolling up our sleeves and, and, and getting things done, um, it's great to have skin in the game um, and aligned interests. Love it. So yeah. one thing we do on this podcast, Rachel, because Rachel was listening, y'all. She's like, I listened to a couple of your episodes, Mike. You know, really enjoy the content that you're creating. Well, I'm sure you realize that we take off our armor. So we get a little yeah. vulnerable on here. Let our listeners know yeah. something we're struggling with, either personally and professionally, as entrepreneurs, or in your case, venture partner. So uh, maybe I will go first. Um, I am dealing with growth on my team, right? So it's like, you know, you kind of start this business and it's you one-on-one with a laptop and a microphone. And then you start growing, you start putting team members in place and you feel like you built this world machine. And then you look up and you're like, yo, cash flow is serious, you know? And thankfully the way I've set up my business, I invoice clients up front, et cetera. I maintain healthy cash in the business, but I've also known as I've grown, the amount of money coming out of my business month over month is a lot higher. Right. So now I feel like I'm at that point to where I got to button up some things on my side because those subscriptions and all that little travel and all that kind of stuff, it like it doesn't seem like it's a big deal early on. But when you got so many team members and you start seeing that credit card bill go up month over month, you're like, oh, man, I got to get tight. And part of me sometimes wishes I could like start over. Right. So, you know, like, OK, go back, be more intentional. But it just comes with the game. So I can only imagine what that's like when companies are, I don't know, like really rapidly growing, right? Like I'm a bootstrapped entrepreneur, so I didn't receive uh, venture funding. So I can only imagine when you get that influx of money, stuff can fall through the cracks, right? And you don't, and you can uh, make the mistake of not catching it. And then next thing you know, you find yourself in a real cash crunch situation. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, uh, it's definitely a issue for a few of our entrepreneurs and, and to remind listeners uh, Hivers and Strivers in of itself is like a startup as well. We're a $20 million fund and the way in which economics work on a fund, we actually don't have that much money outside of paying for our lawyers and our accountants. And so we feel that same bootstrap of, hey, do we spend money on Carta, right? Where do we spend our money? Like, do we have money in the budget for a new website? Do we have, so there's, we face similar challenges as well um, as we've been growing up. And when I say when it comes to growth for our entrepreneurs, uh, it is scaling quickly is hard, especially in maintaining your authenticity and your and your core values as a company. We've seen one of our companies scale up now. Um, I mean, they're in the last 12 months, they've grown a thousand X and uh, have, in terms of people size, they've they've scaled up quickly as well and and just making sure everyone's on the same page with core values and how do you maintain that initial uh, military founder um, scrappiness is really, really difficult. Yeah. Not getting too comfortable, right? Like again, remembering the basics, you know, I did a whole post about this brilliant in the basics, taking care of your team, realizing that, Hey, just cause you can spend a bunch of money to get this done. What capabilities do we have in house? Are we being efficient with our time, et cetera? Now, as a venture partner, right, mm -hmm. one of the things we think about is like, okay, you're at like almost like the pinnacle of entrepreneurship because now you're the one kind of cutting the checks, helping create ecosystems, help grow on ventures. But what's a challenge for you as a venture partner? 
Well, I wouldn't say we're at the top, right? I see it. We're a triangle. Um, it's the entrepreneur, it's RLPs, and it's us. So amongst those, that triangle, without one of them, that ecosystem doesn't exist. Um, but as a challenge in general, I think with our entrepreneurs, the biggest challenge is actually, um, it's a silver lining. It's their humility and their avoidance of press. So a lot of our guys um, come from humble backgrounds of, hey, I'm just going to put my head down and, and get it done, and that's going to speak for itself. It's a very uh, military uh, characteristic that I've seen. And with that, um, in this fake it till you make it ecosystem, a lot of times that, that doesn't help them. But at the same time, they're not that Elizabeth Holmes or Adam Newman. And so that's one of the challenges that we struggle with, and we struggle with it as a fun too. Um, we don't go out. This is actually my first podcast. I will be be blunt. Um, and so uh, I'm a little nervous. Take off my armor. I'm a little nervous. Uh, but yeah, so we uh, we don't tend to go in front of the media a lot and it hurts us. That's all right. You're in front of family here on the bunker. You know, so at least that's the benefit of having our little ecosystem, you know, and I got a shout out to Bunker Labs for making this platform available, a national network of veteran and military spouse entrepreneurs dedicated to helping the military entrepreneurial community start and grow uh, their own businesses. And before you and I went live, we were just talking about how important it is to have community. You know, I'm part of this uh, veteran fellowship program at the Hoover Institution at Stanford University. I'm going through there with one of your portfolio companies. Um, and it's just it's just great to be able to have access to these programs and these uh, these groups. Yeah. And I think what the community is really coming about, uh, because everyone's recognizing, right, um, the rising tide raises all boats, right? And so it's great to have people recognize that military vet entrepreneurs are stellar entrepreneurs. And we just coming together and supporting each other in this ecosystem. Um, I mean, we all or everyone kind of shares the same integrity, hard work, characteristic, mental agility, coachability and and with that, when you come together as a network, um, it can really support, you can really support each other. And that's what we do with our portfolio companies. And it's a strength. Uh, we believe it's a strength of ours. So let's get into venture. All right. Now, there's a misconception. And I said at the beginning, every business is not a venture backable startup. Right. And I see a lot of founders wasting time trying to put their pitch decks together, going to capital raising events, et cetera. When in my mind, I'm like, listen, you just need to build a product or service and go out and start generating revenue via customers, right? Certain business models, it makes sense to go out and raise capital. But I feel like there's a confusion in our community about it. And I think that we're also guilty of it because a lot of times when we're out front and center talking about entrepreneurship. We're so focused on venture capital Right. But the reality of it, the majority of uh, veteran entrepreneurs out there will never receive a venture investment. And that's the majority of entrepreneurs, period. So let's set the stage first by identifying, OK, what when should a, 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 a founder consider receiving venture capital? Yeah. Um, so it really depends on what your business model looks like. And do you have that? Um, near near term cash flow ability right and and the growth uh, of what if you did bring on capital what that growth looks like versus if you bootstrapped so um i'm always a big believer that your default should be not to go out for venture i think uh you're if you can find other resources um venture brings a lot of um certain constraints and so does debt too right so uh, you can go SBA loans, there's um, alternative lending platforms, crowdsourcing, you can kind of go this route as well. Um, but it's best for people generating near-term positive cash flow. And so uh, for venture, it's mostly, uh, can the money that I give you, um, if I give you a dollar in, what does that look like on the return, right? And it is illiquid. So, um, and I'm hoping eventually that I'll get paid for um, in the long term for my risk that I'm taking. Um, with the business. What kind of return particular y'all looking for? I don't like to put a number on it. Um, 
it kind of depends. It depends on the stage of the company. Uh, but you have to remember, right, venture is so risky that a lot of times um, companies in the portfolio of a venture capital fund, on average, eight fail. Now, I won't say it's that high for us. We're, we're probably at one. One has, one has kind of floundered. And, uh, but those types of failures, we hope, will be made up with uh, the certain returns of, uh, of a few very, very successful ones. So essentially, the fund invests in multiple ventures, and the idea is that one of those ventures can basically make up any of the losses collectively of the entire fund, right? So you get that big exit. Kudos to you all. You just had a big win with Black Rifle Coffee. What was it, a month ago? <laughs> right? Yeah. And what's interesting to me about that, as well as True Made Foods, Eric, when you think about venture-backable startups, there's a lot of attention given to SaaS, right? Software as a service. You know, sometimes there may be hard tech, but that's a little bit harder, obviously. Consumer packaged goods is hard. CPG brands, hard, period, right? Because you got to think about it. The reality of it is, you know, a bag of coffee, even though say it's $20, right? You still got to sell a lot of coffee to cover staff, employees, overhead, et cetera. And yet you all have had a win in it, and then you're continuing to move in that space, right? What is it about CPG that is so difficult in your mind? Right. And why has Hivers even still embraced it? Hivers embraces it because of the entrepreneur. We believe we stand behind the guy or girl. And uh, so True Made Foods with Abe, he's stellar, knows the industry inside and out. And we have conviction around him in the industry. Um, his brand, he's doing something, he's changing it for good. And we really believe that he had, he has market tailwinds because there's this push for no sugar added, right? Uh, with Black Rifle Coffee and Evan, I mean, Evan, it was a coffee lover. I took him 10 minutes to make me a cup of coffee down when I was in Tennessee and he measured every gram of coffee and he just had, they had conviction around their product and just passion and and the ability to execute too. Um, it was a risk we took, but uh, they surrounded themselves with good people. And then as they kind of got down the line, they made right decisions. And so that's where um, we had faith and trust in our entrepreneurs. And so that's why we invested in them. So if I'm an entrepreneur listening to this, right, I'm asking myself, okay, how do I know whether my company is venture backable? So you said like, I need to understand that if you invest a dollar, then I need to be able to return, you know, let's say hypothetically 10x, et cetera. Are there any industries or spaces you see a lot of veterans operating in that you think, hey, you have the potential for venture backable? I think it's less industry based. It's more so about you and your specific venture. So for CPG, for example, the magic number, the magic threshold is uh, 10 million in revenue, right? So once you kind of hit 10 million in revenue, and once you have a certain a gross margin, and once you have proven yourself out in this industry, then that's when kind of the PE guys want to come in or, or you're able to kind of attract more venture, right? And so in CPG, it's tough because there's this no man's land. Uh, it kind of happens between three to five in revenue and then between five and 10 in revenue. And so it's all about, what your plan is, how, what your market is and how you plan to go after that and who you are as a person. So. All right. So once I say, okay, I think I need to go get venture capital. How do I go about getting it? <laughs> so I would say first and foremost, what I would do if I were to go do it, I go talk to one of um, our current guys in our portfolio, a former uh, entrepreneur that we backed. And I talk to them. I do your due diligence on us, right? Um, it's a marriage. So you have to like us and we have to like you. And if you do our, your due diligence, you talk to a former entrepreneur of ours and say, and, and understand kind of if the value we bring is right and the way in which we go about it also fits and, uh, and your business model and, um, and your growth strategy and your market and all these different um all these different inputs kind of fit this model, then then you talk to an entrepreneur and we value highly what a suggestion or a, a recommendation from our entrepreneur. And then the second way we get uh, leads 
is through uh, former LPs of ours as well. So an investor will come to us and say, hey, look, I talked to this guy. I really like it. You should take a look. So usually when an entrepreneur comes through, comes to us with a recommendation or an LP, we drop everything and we look at it right away. Um, and a third one is kind of, we go through Gus, the platform. Um, but again, really do your due diligence on us and talk to someone in the network. Um, and our, I know entrepreneurs would be willing to talk, talk to other entrepreneurs. Can you explain to our listeners what an LP is? Yeah. So an LP is a limited partner. So for example, we have a fund, fund two is a $20 million fund and an LP, a limited partner is an investor into that fund. So um, they are actually one of our biggest strengths at Hivers and Strivers. We have a very wide, vast network across the country and across industries of very successful individuals who believe in our mission and believe in who the fund is and what the fund is doing that they entrust in us um, capital to go invest in, in entrepreneurs. And LPs are out there moving around in the ecosystem, <laughs> right? They might yep. be your commanding officer. You have no idea, right? But they're out there. Um, and so what she means by that kind of like competitive advantage is that they've got their ears to the ecosystem. And so they're communicating back to uh, the fund and saying, hey, you should look at this entrepreneur. And it's all about creating that confidence, right? I think back to the Naval Academy, Rachel. Like anytime I'm giving someone advice about applying to a service academy, it's like, how do you yeah. let the academies know that you're going to succeed? That's really what it comes down to. Everything from your letters of recommendation, your track record of success, that's what you're really doing. What you're trying to do is build confidence. And what it sounds like you're saying, talking to your portfolio companies, you know, maybe connecting with an LP or something, somebody has an affiliation with the fund, it gives a lot more confidence when you're walking in and they're sitting down with someone like you or Doug to talk about, you know, potential investment, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it's funny you say that. I'm in Annapolis right now, right next to the Naval Academy. I did the 3.8 mile loop this weekend there from you the go. Academy. <laughs> Shout out to all my Navy grads. And those of you that didn't go to Annapolis, come visit anyway. It's a beautiful city. Now, going back to that panel I talked about, right, at in New York City, one thing I would have loved to see them talk more about is the importance of identifying that market opportunity. So, you know, a lot of our entrepreneurs think, oh, just because I have a good idea, right? That they think it's going to be a great business. But one of the things I've become a fan of, is there a market demand for what you're um, introducing, right? Through your business model. So for example, right? You think of True Made Foods. Let's use True Made Foods as an example. People are trying to be a lot more healthier, right? Right now, you're starting to see, I go to events now, they're serving vegan, right? A lot less uh, fatty meats and sandwiches and stuff. It's just like, there's a market there. So people are actively looking for healthier ways to feed their children, to feed their families, et cetera. And so I'm assuming that, you know, with a company like True Made Foods, right, there's a, you're able to see that, hey, this is a market opportunity here. Like we're not just creating this from scratch. People are actively spending their money on healthier options. How can we create a company to uh, take some of that demand? Yeah. Uh, and that's where you hit on it last week, I think, on your last podcast about vitamins and uh, aspirin. And I, I kind of divide it into um, aspirin, diamonds, and oxygen. Or I should say oxygen, aspirin, and diamonds. So oxygen is like, right, the have to have, you can't breathe without it, um, kind of an iPhone, right? Kind of, that's what an iPhone is. It, was, it went diamond to oxygen. And so kind of identifying this opportunity staying really close to your customer is very important. Um, and a lot of if you're not talking about your customer, 80% of the time, you're focusing on the wrong thing. Uh, and your customer will really tell you what you have and where it kind of goes within those uh, three categories. In terms of hivers and strivers, right? Everybody talks about pre-seed, early seed, right? Are you expecting entrepreneurs to have some form of traction before they come to you? Whether it's signups or revenue numbers or can they, are they coming to you with just pure ideas? It depends. It depends on the industry. It depends on the idea. Uh, we had a guy come to us with a back of the napkin idea to create a hydrogen company. And we we're like, Hey, you know what? We'll write a small, it was a smaller check size. The first check size we wrote was smaller. Usually we do about a 250 to 500 first. Um, we lead the round. We're usually first money in. And we'll write check sizes anything from 250 to a million. 
But for him, back of that idea or back of the napkin idea. And I mean, he showed though real traction and he had, he had a pathway to show what he was going to go do. So I think it, it depends. Got it. Now, one of the questions we have on here is what should entrepreneurs expect from VCs? (laughs) Well, I will say, um, right. When you take VC money, um, I, I'm not going to call you at 5 a.m. in the morning. I'm not going to do that to you. But I I think VCs, we're here to give good advice and guidance and um, and try to make sure that our we get hybrids and strivers, we're all in with you, right? So we try to help and open doors and, and connect you to the right people that you need to be connected with. So that's really the value add of VCs. Now, we do do a monthly newsletter. And it's a way to keep our LPs engaged and write about what our um, companies need from our LPs. But at the same time, so every month we ask for our entrepreneurs to give us an update. So it's um, it's sometimes a pain in the butt, but at the same time we call it push-ups. We're doing our push-ups every month, and and we're writing about um, certain accountability metrics and 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 asking our LP network for for intros or advice. So the reality is it's not your money, right? It's their money. And with that comes the responsibility of keeping people informed of what's going on. And for, you know, those 250K, 500K checks, what kind of equity are we talking about? Uh, again, it depends. There's a, there's a wide range, but uh, it, we're not someone that takes 50%, right? We're venture capital. So I think the largest position we'll take is 30%. Uh, it depends on the check size, though, and and the round. And we're seeing different. We're seeing the ecosystem in the last two years really change. We're also seeing it start to draw back as well. And so um, it just kind of depends on the industry and the idea and the entrepreneur. One of the things that I'm aware of too is if you take venture capital, you're going to get a board seat potentially, right? And somebody like you is going to be a board observer and you're going to sit there with the entrepreneur at least what once a month once a quarter and make sure that they're taking care of business in-house yeah um well first i want to make sure they didn't take the money and run to cancun right i um and so we usually will lead around and we take a board seat now uh the general partners and i i sit on a one board but it's rare Uh, We try not to sit on the board seat, right? We try to put our smartest LP in that board seat who can really help you in that industry. Because frankly, as much as I can understand CPG, I'm just dangerous enough. I know that I'm not the right one to sit on that board. So I find the right LP in my network to sit on the board and give you advice and and make sure that you have all the resources that you need. And when you need something from us, that board member is kind of that conduit that uh, conveys information to and from uh, the fund. Now, for a lot of these founders, right, like you say, back at a napkin, approach hires and strivers, I'm willing to bet they're building this infrastructure up from scratch, right? So a lot of our listeners don't even know about uh, building advisory boards, right, what that process is like, you know, where you get subject matter experts, kind of form a team. Is it three to five, five to ten? you know, people that you can rely on and go to for um, expertise and challenges. Yeah. Um, And that's where, right, PenFed has a great, uh, PenFed Foundation, the master's program is a great program. That's where we got Tumble from. And and SEDA is just absolutely stellar in teaching uh, entrepreneurs kind of how to form that infrastructure. Also, uh, other sources, I mean, Bunker Labs, right? Bunker Labs. And then you've got books and resources online, Secrets of Sandhill Road, the book. I do believe that every potential entrepreneur looking for VC money should read that book. It explains it very clearly and well, um, just what the ecosystem looks like. And then, um, I mean, don't hesitate to reach out too, right? Um, military vet entrepreneurs, if you know someone who has gotten VC funding or even if you want to reach out to me and understand, okay, what does this need to look like and how to do it? Um, me and a few people on my team are happy to talk. And What are your thoughts on, I don't know, if you've been following venture studios, like startup studios and how they've kind of have these operating partners that come in, work hand in hand with the founders. They've got a combination of 
they'll develop ideas in-house, then find a founder to run it, or they'll partner with a founder from one of their LPs, like you mentioned, um, and work together. And you've got like Pioneer Square Labs out in Seattle. You have Betaworks here in New York City. You've got Science out in Santa Monica. You know, what are your thoughts on, on that kind of model? I think it's absolutely fantastic uh, what these guys are doing. They're building some great companies. I would be hesitant. Sometimes I see them take a large position of the company, a large chunk of equity, just to implement or just to put in an operating partner. And I want to make sure that um, you companies are aware of kind of what the terms are and not be taken advantage of. But um, in general, Hivers and Strivers doesn't do that. Uh, we we truly believe that um, if you, as a stellar leader, they t- uh, people tend to come to us with one or two co-founders and they build great teams around them. And, and where we can help, we help, but we tend to do it with an equity investment and we don't take any warrants or any type of debt. The reason I was asking, because I wonder if there's an opportunity amongst the military veteran ecosystem to have a kind of startup studio, you know, because a lot of times I think, you know, we bring certain skill sets, right? Uh, obviously to the business world. But at the same time, while we were kicking dirt and throwing rocks and shooting at the enemy, you know, our peers were working as quants, you know, in in Wall Street or they were learning the basics of product marketing and stuff, et cetera. And so I feel like to some extent we can be behind in terms of business um, and taking a product to market. And so as more and more successful entrepreneurs, including those within the high versus strivers portfolio, as well as across the board, we start to get that experience and we're able to come and help people get past those early stage troubles, you know, finding that market validation, building that initial team um, and all that comes with actually achieving liftoff. Because, I mean, we make it seem easy. We're on these podcasts and we talk about it, but it's a hell of a thing to launch a venture and get it off the ground, get those first 10 customers. And if you're going after enterprise, you know, my God. Right. It's like a bloodbath. You're fighting tooth and nail. And so I think there's value when you can bring people together who have that experience and can speed up the process. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. And I would be in full support of it. Uh, Tim Heisa, Heisa um, over in Cocktail and Ventures. Yeah. He, uh, we do we do a, a get together every two weeks there. It's venture capital. A uh, few partners, venture capital firms come together and we all invest in military vets and and we hear three pitches and um, on LinkedIn, there's a happy to share the link if you want to apply to this. And it's it's a great resource to kind of get in front of multiple venture firms that all have and believe in the same mission. They're all great guys. They were all out in, in San Francisco with us. That's a great. So. And this brings me to my next point of like, how do you even approach venture capitalists? Right. And it like LinkedIn can be so corny just on a sales front. Right. People have access to our emails now. They're spamming us. They're doing all kinds of stuff. Just try to get people's attention. And I'm worried that our entrepreneurs, when they're trying to raise investment, like they're 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 approaching firms the wrong way. So let's break this down. Like, how should you realistically approach a venture capitalist? I, I will say it again. Go to their uh, an existing entrepreneur in their portfolio. Talk to them, try to get in front of them, see, um, see what their experience was like, and then see what they would suggest of, hey, how do, how do I approach this firm? Or, hey, can you make an introduction for me, right? So if I know um, a previous entrepreneur is, has talked to this guy and, and likes him and thinks he's a solid human, um, I'm more willing to listen to it rather than just a cold blast email. Um, I mean, I try to keep up with my emails and respond within 24 hours, but it's tough when you're on the road and and uh, and so, yeah, I would definitely go through a, a warm introduction. How many emails are you getting from uh, aspiring, <laughs> you know, uh, entrepreneurs? From an e combine my email and LinkedIn, I probably get 40 to 50 a week. Really? Yeah. Um, and some of them are great. Uh, some of them are just asking for how, how do you do this and how to go about this or, Hey, I just want to connect and down the line, I'm going to raise capital. So it, it varies. And, uh, and at the same time, gust, um, is where I kind of will suggest people to go into. And that's where you build out a, a data room where it will walk you through very simply, um, business ideas and, and 
kind of build out your business plan um, on on that form. Now, one of the things that I'm curious to know with regards to approaching venture. Oh, actually, let me take it back. Conversation. This is a conversation. I believe that our founders should also be a lot more intentional. So you should know right here locally is a firm called Hacks, which is hard Mm -hmm. tech venture capital. They invest in hard tech startups, right? So if you are building a software as a service platform, chances are they're not a good fit for you. You know why? Because they invest in hard tech startups. You would know that if you took the time to understand about them, read their blog, look at their portfolio of investments. And I think it goes back to what you said about like, hey, man, like get to know these firms, have an understanding of who they invest in, what they look for, et cetera. That way you're not wasting your time. And then also I would like to think that when you reach out to them, you can bring a little bit of agency too. So like there's a thoughtful email. You open a thoughtful email more so than just like the generic, you know, spammy email of a, of, of a, a entrepreneur looking for investment. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's where if you say, if you're a, let's say you're a CPG company, you go, Hey, I talked to Abe. I talked to Abe the other day. He spoke great things about your firm, really interested in, in getting to know what kind of value you bring. Right. Because if you're looking for capital, make it smart capital. Right. Um, Cause you're giving up a piece of your baby to someone else. So you really want to make sure that this marriage is going to work. And so and and saying, hey, I really like what you guys do. Done my due diligence. I'm still. I have a few questions around this, um, but here is my business idea, and and this is how I think I could fit into what you guys do based off of X Y Z. Now, one thing we kept saying again, you've mentioned due diligence a couple of times, and I'm always oh, yeah. cognizant of like our, our 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 listeners might be due diligence. What the heck is that? Let's break it down. <laughs> Uh, so research, it's just research, really. It's just really getting to understand. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I should, I should have prefaced this, uh, but yeah, no. So if you just get to understand who we are as a firm, what we do and why we do it. Um, and I mean, right. Why you understand why vets, right? So you don't really have to understand, but like, why us? Like we're all in, we're not spray and pray. We're exclusively military vets. We're not wavering from that. Um, we have an incredible network of LPs that you will be able to access. And, um, and we organize our, our entrepreneurs into a, peer gr- and into a peer group. And with all of this, we hope to be the most valuable player on your cap table. We want to be the most valuable name. And if that's what you're looking for, great. If you're looking for someone who's a little bit more passive and doesn't want a board seat or maybe that's not us. So that's where I kind of say, do your research and, and define what you want, what you're looking for and see if that fits with us. Now, I think we've already covered it, but another bullet point I have on here is standing out to VCs and what they look for to invest. And again, based off of, I've talked to Doug, everything you just said on this podcast, number one is you've got to get someone to vouch for you within the Hivers and Strivers uh, portfolio companies. And I'm willing to bet it's the same thing at like the Y Combinators of the world and all these different uh, these different groups. Now, obviously, you can have a great business model. It's so good. They're like, listen, take our money. But for the rest of us, right, you need a little network. You need a little relationship building. You know, you've got to have people that can speak on your behalf when you're not in the room. And to me, you know, I'm a brand guy. That's what brand is all about. And brand is that differentiation. It's that moat uh, around your uh, your business. Yeah, yeah. And that's where, um, right, you've been doing things. You've been out fighting the enemy. You've been in combat. You haven't had kind of the time to build up that network that a lot of these Stanford grads have. And with the un- or non-traditional resume that a lot of military vets have, um, they often get overlooked by other VC firms. And so we recognize that you bring these characteristics. And that's really what we look for. We look for the entrepreneur. We look for um, coachability, mental agility, uh, mental agility, resiliency, uh, integrity. I mean, because at the beginning, it's all about that entrepreneur and the team he can build, and that's what military vets do really uh, do really well. And then also with that too, do you understand the market that you're in? And 
if and is it an industry that we're also in as well, right? So uh, we don't invest in cannabis companies. We don't understand it. We don't have LPs that understand it. It's just not in our wheelhouse. And so with that, um, we, we've been quite vocal about this. It's uh, so industry, we have to have some type of industry expertise in it as well. I was actually going to ask you about when you start to look towards the future, right? There's all these new emerging industries popping up. You know, people are going crazy about NFTs. You got Web 3.0 and the metaverse. You know, God knows what other, what, what the future brings. What are you thinking about? What are y'all thinking about like long-term, two, three years from now? Are there in new industries that are popping up that you're curious about? Because I feel like veterans, we keep doing the same business models. It's like coffee, beer, uh, what's some other stuff? Um apparel right and i'm just thinking about like a lot of our listeners tuning in yeah. but they're recruiting like, recruiting, recruiting, right, corporate recruiting. Yeah. but then you know there's all this opportunity out there like even for me podcasting i would have never thought of myself producing podcasts let alone hosting them you know two three years ago yet here i am and so when you look towards the future talk to us about what you're kind of thinking about so i will tell you what i'm most excited in i love unsexy businesses just the weird, no one wants to be in it. Like laundry, for example, what Scott Patterson is doing over at Tumble, right? No one wants this. Everyone's chasing crypto. Everyone's chasing Web3. He's just taking technology and he's applying it to a dinosaur industry, right? It's very simple and it's no easy task, but it's a, it's a simple idea here. And I kind of this is what I think is the future is trying to find those unsexy businesses and, and diving into it and, and beating out your peers. Now in two to three years, where will we be? Like, I, I can't tell the future. I don't know. Uh, NFTs, web three blockchain technology, all of this is exciting because it's new and it's shiny. And at the same time, we are very aware, aware that, Hey, this isn't the space that we know well yet. And so we're not super excited to invest money into something that we don't know. So um, we're still trying to figure out that specific focus there. Uh, but what we do know is unsexy businesses. I'm thinking I got a friend named John Hunter who runs Glean Clean Auto Spa, right? And so he's running car dealerships, car cleaning, you know, down in Jacksonville, North Carolina, killing it, right? Why? Because a lot of these legacy car washes, you just put the quarters in, you spray, but it's like, how can we make this uh, a better experience? How can we automate this using technology and robots and everything else? And he's doing great. Uh, what's another unsexy business? Well, if you want to find the unsexy businesses, there's this great book called A More Beautiful Question. And it's all about um, igniting innovation through questions. So it's, it's first finding the why, like why doesn't this exist or why is this so difficult? And then it's asking, okay, take away assumptions, what if? And after what if, how, right? And so with unsexy businesses, so one of them is laundry, right? Uh, the laundry company, it was, why do I have to pay in quarters? Why do I have to go downstairs or down five flights of stairs and then all the laundry machines are taken and I didn't know that. And now I have to lug my laundry back up and wait an hour and go bring it back down. Why can't I have an app on my phone that tells me which ones are available and why can't I pay via Venmo and why can't I do this? And, and so Scott took that idea and he implemented how. Um, and that was another lease lock, the security deposits. It was why do I need to put up three months of rent in New York City for security deposit? Like I don't have that type of liquidity. How, like, how can I go about and do this? And so or what Riken ended up doing, he started personally loaning people money who were in the same scenario he was, right? And then he just built it into this behemoth of a company. And so it's kind of going about these personal challenges and asking why, why is this so difficult or why does it exist this way and challenging assumptions. I've been thinking about the haircut, right? I forgot the app that's raised a lot of money for haircuts um recently i think it's squire or something but you think about it even here right even though there's all these apps and things available to make the haircut process more efficient you walk into some of these barbers and they don't use any of it right because they're <laughs> so kind of set in their ways but then something like a covid happens right 
And now it's like either you use this technology or you will go out of business altogether. And so sometimes this is what I was going back to when I was talking about before of like, is the market demand there for what you're offering? And have you tested and validated? Because while it sounds like a great idea, oh, these barbers or yeah, we're going to, you know, use our app instead of using coins and stuff. But until you get out there and start talking to customers and realize that like, hey, maybe this is part of their identity. You know, like every week they go, they get their coins and they put it in the machine and et cetera. And so then there's a different problem there to facilitate that transition to adopting technology. And that's where you got to talk to your customers. Be super close to your customers. Be out there selling it in the back of your trunk because your customer is going to tell you whether or not your business is going to succeed or fail. Now, as a venture partner, what are you reading? Like what's your, uh, what, 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 yeah, what's your stat? What am I talking about? What does your uh, consumption look like? Uh, so I probably read about three books a month and I alternate between them. Uh, so I try to read, um, I try to read fiction. Unfortunately, I, I don't, it's supposed to make you more creative. I, I don't really read that much fiction recently. So a more beautiful question is one talks about, uh, to me, it's how do I become a better partner to my entrepreneurs? And I have to ask a lot more questions. Uh, and so with that, so more beautiful question. I also read um, The Power Law, which talks about uh, venture capital, uh, the history of venture capital. Another one I recently read um, was The World for Sale. So we have a hydrogen company and it gave me good insights into what the history of the oil markets and how that came to fruition and kind of what that means for hydrogen itself. So it kind of, it, it varies across the board, but it's mostly um, uh, a a mixture of them and biographies as well. I just read uh, the CEO of Pepsi. She wrote a beautiful book about her life and she's absolutely stellar. Love it. What about podcasts? You listen to any podcasts? Well, besides you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I love The Knowledge Project by Shane Parrish. Great podcast. I actually pay um, for it. I pay for the uh, advanced membership. I do too. FS, uh, FS blog. I mean, I even though I don't know how much value it delivers, to be a paying member, I truly believe, I don't want him to go out of business. That's so why I, I did pay. it too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I supported it. I was like, this is so, good content, I support Yeah, And I love just his mental models too. He teaches you how to think and so, um, and I think there's just so much out there to learn. Yeah, what I'm trying to get our listeners to understand is like there's so many resources out there. You've got A16Z, they've got their future blog, which is amazing, they have their whole podcast. First round review, I'm a fan of, I really like that too. Um, and I'll put some of those links in our show notes as well. And the big thing is that if you're pursuing venture capital, do your best to like start, you know, uh, doing your recon, find out what you're getting yourself into so you can come to it with some knowledge and uh, understanding. And to that point, too, I would say if you're looking to go into venture capital, uh, go all in because we're all in on you. So we expect you to burn, uh, I say burn the boats, take the island. But um, if you come to us and you say, hey, I, I still want to have this nine to five, but this is just on the side and you're raising capital, uh, it's a hard sell for us uh, because we will be investing everything we have into you. So we we hope for uh, reciprocity. As you all look to the future at High Risen and Strivers, what's your BHAG? What's that big, hairy, audacious goal that you're uh, striving towards? We want to create billion-dollar military vet billion dollar companies. So we want the world to be shocked by, right? So Evan Hafer at Black Rifle and and his co-founder Matt Best, um, they were kind of, they shocked the world and it's like, wow, these military vets really, really have what it takes. We want to create multiple of those. And uh, and I, th I think we have what it takes. Um, in the next 12 months, we're hoping to have another one. And um and yeah, that's kind of our big goal as a as a fund. I'll tell y'all, being at the Milvet Startup Conference, y'all planted that flag in the ground. Y'all were like, we only invest in military. <laughs> and I try to, to like, and I feel like even in our space, right, there's a lot of firms that are popping up in the venture capital or whatever, but so many, it seems like, are scared to niche down, right? It's like yeah. they, they use the same lingo, same et cetera, versus like hacks. We only invest in hard tech. 
uh, Hivers and Strivers. We only invest in military veterans. And I feel like there's opportunity in these niche, you know, ecosystems as well. So it's one thing to talk about it to our founders, like you need to niche down, you need to niche down, niche down. But I will, I like seeing it more from capital allocators, right? So then it makes it easier for the entrepreneurs to say, hey, is this person a good fit for us? Yeah, and hold me accountable, right? So I've, I've entrepreneurs, we hold accountable and expect the same back. And um, yeah, niche down. And we exclusively invest in military vets because we we truly believe and have the conviction that they have what it takes to become billion dollar companies. So Rachel, you've made time for us today. Let our <laughs> listeners know how our how our how we can help support and elevate the work you and your team are doing at Hivers and Strivers. Yeah, well, first and foremost, get the word out about Hivers. And um, if there's really, if you think that your company or you're questioning kind of, hey, does this venture look right for me? I mean, you know about us, you know what we look for and um, don't don't hesitate to reach out. And just in general, I think military vets and being entrepreneurs is just, it's a hard, hard venture to go after. And we're here to support it and create a community around around you to support you in any any best way we can. So just get the word out and um, we'd love to hear back too from you guys and, and be more involved. We're kind of doing a press. We're going out and we're talking to the press now because um, it's time now that we have a few wins under our belt. Love it. So y'all heard her, y'all. Make sure you check out Hivers and Strivers. Get the word out. Let the community know. I'll be sure to include a link to your website in the show notes. Make sure y'all are also subscribing to the Transition a newsletter as well. I send out a newsletter at least once a week sharing the latest episode of The Transition. If there's a topic you'd like me to cover on the show or in the newsletter, feel free to reach out to me at mike.stedman at bunkerlabs.org or, or message me directly on LinkedIn at Iron Mike Stedman. If you want to get plugged into the Bunker Lab ecosystem, visit bunkerlabs.org. We got programs that'll take you from idea to invoice, incubate you, and position you to grow alongside other founders and CEOs. Until next time, everyone, peace, love, and have a great rest of your week.